a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. All right, it's 8.30 on the Monday morning. That, uh, that means it's time for politics with John Moore and Geoffrey Morena to you, John. Oh, turn your mic on, that'd be important. Uh, morning to you, Geoffrey. Good morning. How are we both today? Very good. Marvellous. Very well, thank you. Marvellous. All right, 2019, it's almost done. It's almost done and dusted. We've got 15 days to go, and 15 days, is, uh, you know, it's a lot in politics, uh, but it's probably not going to be too much to go, so why not look back? on the year uh, in politics 2019 and the best and the worst of it which is a lot of worst and I suppose it's a little bit of best um, what's we'll up with you John um, what are some of your highlights from this year in New Zealand politics what okay uh, my big highlight is the re-emergence of unions and unions in the political sphere so since uh, the formation of this Labour-led government, coalition government, we've seen a wave of strikes, which we really predicted. Um, and, and Jacinda Ardern was asked herself, uh, would we see more strikes under a Labour government with unions being empowered? And she said, not under my watch. Well, <laughs> unfortunately for her, but maybe a good thing for workers, we have seen a, um, a whole range of strikes. And these have often been member push. So we saw that with the nurses, uh, where the leadership was uh, going before the general member again and again uh, with pretty uh, pretty um, poor deals uh, in terms of uh, pay increases in there and the membership kept pushing on through and and yeah gained quite uh, some significant gains and also um, for the first time we saw joint teacher action this year with primary school teachers and secondary school teachers and again um, uh, this big straight wave with teachers was often pushed through by members uh, with with the leadership being a bit more reluctant to take on the government so basically striking is cool again hmm. what about you Jeffrey? Yeah, my highlight uh, actually has been the relaxed attitude to the budget responsibility rules, uh, which the Greens and Labour cooked up uh, before the 2017 election. And remember, these restrict the government to have no more than 20% uh, debt uh, in terms of GDP and to not spend more than 30% of GDP. And uh, those rules have really um, seemed to be out of touch with the demand, I think, from the electorate for more spending on infrastructure. We've seen Labour uh, uh, relax their attitude uh, and, and shift those targets a bit for the future. And the Greens just last week uh, formally dumped their support for, the, for these rules. Uh, and this has been something that's been contested within the Green Party. James Shaw was the big advocate uh, for them. In fact, he was really the architect of these rules. Um, but a lot of others in his party uh, really despise them. So they've been dumped uh, at the end of the year. I mean, they're formally still in place, but they're being relaxed. And I think we're going to see a lot less attention paid to those, those strict uh, rules going forward. All right. Um, let's have a look at some lowlights now. Um, what do you reckon, John? First of all, the failure of Kiwi Build. So um, Labour promised it would be a transformative government uh, and their coalition partner um, 
um, New Zealand first under leadership of Winston Peters said that basically capitalism was broken in New Zealand and uh, needed to be fixed. However, the plan to to deliver affordable housing to New Zealand has failed under this government. Uh, there now is no grand plan. Set targets have been scrapped and the former Minister of Housing, Phil Twyford, uh, although he's no longer Minister of Housing, he has uh, stayed in a senior position in Cabinet. So that this failure to actually deliver on affordable housing is a significant broken promise from this government. Secondly, um, the mosque attacks, of course. Um, uh, these were devastating um, actions. I think they've changed New Zealand forever, um, and it's forced um, New Zealanders to reflect on questions of Islamophobia and xenophobia in this country. I think the initial response uh, after the terrorist attacks were amazing, their outpouring of support uh, for Muslim communities. And um, I think there was that realisation of of the fear and uh, anxiety it would cause within Muslim communities in New Zealand and throughout the world actually because New Zealand was always seen as such a safe place. Um, what has been disappointing though is um, the whole question with the Crusaders rugby team mm. uh, and the use of that, uh, I would say, very uh, toxic name, the whole legacy of um, uh, Crusades from Europe into the Middle East, uh, uh, very bloody and brutal um, attacks by uh, um, Christian Europe against uh, the Muslim Middle East. Um, and I don't think that, yeah, I think it would have been good if the Crusaders had decided to change their name, but they haven't. Could the, hand, the government's handling of that have been seen as kind of like a highlight? I mean, if you look at the re how the rest of the world would ha usually handles those kinds of situations, um, it's, you know, ban this, ban, you know, mm. ban all Muslims, blah, blah, blah. it's a big massive crackdown. We did the op opposite. We opened our arms. Yeah, I think Jacinda Ardern uh, was the key leader in, in sort of uh, uh, pushing out that positive response um, and it, it was a dangerous moment for New Zealand in the sense that the whole Muslim world was looking at New Zealand now and saying hey what's going on here is this a country where Islamophobia is rife and I think uh, um, Jacinda Ardern um, was able to address those concerns mm. and, and um, almost be seen as a hero um, uh, throughout large parts of the world. Uh, what about you Geoffrey Lowlights? Yeah, my low light for politics in New Zealand uh, this year has been the lack of accountability for very highly paid public service CEOs. Uh, we have a huge number of very well-paid public sector CEOs here in Wellington, where I am at the moment. Um, the average gets $443,000, so it's somewhere in the order of 10 times the average salary in New Zealand. 53 of these public sector CEOs, in fact, earn more than Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of this country, does. And we're always told that we have to pay good money to get good people. But we've seen at least a couple of examples this year of, of CEOs uh, really going rogue and not doing their job properly, and yet they don't get punished for it. So um, the two examples I've got, uh, Gabriel Makhlouf, the uh, CEO of the Treasury, or the Treasury Secretary, as we call him, uh, he uh, completely bungled the census, uh, sorry, not the census, the budget. Um, if you recall... Uh, and the National Party got hands on uh, data early from the budget and claimed that, uh, and, and the Treasury claimed that it was hacked uh, and it was illegally obtained. And then it turned out they'd just put it on the website early by mistake mm -hmm. and the National Party had searched for it and found it and, and released it. So it was a complete uh, um, 
yeah, it was a complete blunder by Makalu from the Treasury. Uh, but he got away with it. Uh, you know, he was leaving shortly anyway, but he got away without any formal censure of any kind. Uh, he didn't have to, you know, give up some of his salary for the year, and then he got a fancy new job in Ireland. So that was number example number one. Example number two was Liz McPherson, who was the chief statistician for the for Statistics New Zealand. Now they completely bungled the census, if you recall, uh, which was an online census and seemed to be you know, just a, a woeful performance um, which didn't get the data that we needed um, and and she was even refusing to provide details to the uh, government committee, the select committee um, uh, of parliament responsible for the census uh, and was quite arrogant about uh, her own incompetence essentially. Um, she uh, officially resigned but then was kept on until the end of 2019 to work on a patch-up job. Now, look, Gabrielle Makhlouf earned $681,000. That was his salary. Elizabeth McPherson earned $428,000. We can really expect better for that. If you're going to earn the big bucks, it should really be one strike and you're out. Mm, mm. Um, mine's the handling of the, the sex scandals by the Labour Party, by the way. Mm. Um, absolutely shocking. Right, uh, best politicians. Uh, go, Geoffrey. Uh, best performing politicians of the year for me, Jacinda Ardern, no question. Uh, Simon Bridges, I'm going to put him. I think he came back from the death this year. Uh, was completely written off. Judith Collins was going to be the next National Party leader. It was all a matter of time in the first half of the year. But in the second half, he really found his mojo, I think. And um, he, yeah, I, I think he's done not a bad job. And, you know, you can argue about the methods he's using and everything else, but there's no question he's been quite successful. And, you know, I think there's a you know, 50-50 chance that National could form the next government uh, and that's a big increase on earlier in the year. Uh, and also David Seymour, mm. uh, I mm. think, has done a good job with for ACT. Uh, they're up to a whopping 2% support, which is uh, sounds small, but is better than 0.5% where they've been uh, kind of the last five years, and, and part of that's been to do with their uh, stance on various issues. I think free speech is one, uh, the gun legislation, the Zero Carbon Act. They've, uh, developed a profile which is, I think, a bit more distinct from national uh, than in the in the past few years. And uh, David Seymour hasn't really um, put a foot wrong this year. So those are my top three. John? Yeah, first, uh, Jacinda Ardern. Um, I think she's been able to clearly project herself internationally as the anti-Trump, uh, as a sort of uh, world liberal leader. And in a sense, she's, she's replaced Trudeau uh, in that position, um, the Canadian Prime Minister, who um, possibly was the most liberal Prime Minister in the world when he was first elected. Uh, however, I think his, his arrogance, his smugness, and of course uh, the whole uh, black-facing incident has uh, knocked him off his perch. Um, and also, um, as I said before, how Jacinda Ardern handled the whole um, mosque shooting crisis. Um, I don't think there's any other leader in New Zealand, political leader in New Zealand, who could have handled it as well as her and showing show general yeah, genuine empathy uh, for the Muslim communities um, and, and and be able to connect to a whole range of people um, on that issue. Um, Simon Bridges, so same as Geoffrey. Um, I think, uh, yeah, Simon Bridges has been able to propel himself by embracing a form of toxic uh, populist politics um, and this has gained the party well needed media attention he's dealt with the threat of Judith Collins by keeping the Nats high in the polls um, 
He's effectively supported the use of social media media to engage in attack politics against the Labour-led government. Uh, his party continues to be the most popular party in New Zealand, and he could well be New Zealand's next Prime Minister by next year. And in a sense, I think um, uh, uh, the, the growing... Well, not necessarily... The, the maintenance of that popularity for national is, is by Simon Bridges, as I said, taking on those populist politics. And with Simon Bridges, we've basically got New Zealand's own Boris Johnson. Ooh. All right. <laughs> um, wow, well, there have been a lot of bad ones, John. Uh, where do you start? Full Twyford, I think he completely failed as housing minister. In opposition, Full Twyford is often quite effective in, uh, in, in attacking um, the Nats and, uh, uh, and their friends. Um, and However, as, as an actual uh, cabinet minister in government, he's just been hopeless and doesn't really seem to have much self-awareness in, in terms of how hopeless he's, he's been. Um, of course, he was put in charge of uh, the whole housing project to make... Uh, uh, housing affordable again, uh, and he failed. Um, and now he doesn't seem to be doing the best job with transport either. Um, in terms of a, another worst performing politician, I have to say Winston Peters. I think the the whole dodgy finances scandal, the whole uh, dodgy spending uh, with, with the portfolios that New Zealand First uh, has in government could very well bring down New Zealand First, and it mm. could be end of story. Wow, we've heard that before, and he rises again, Lazarus. <laughs> uh, right, Jeffrey? Yeah, I'd definitely go with Phil Twyford um, for the same reasons as John. Um, and Labor's really uh, raised the white flag on Kerry Bill. The program now exists really in name only. Um, it's now essentially a, a, a program of subsidies for first-time buyers, rather than any great building program to expand the housing supply, which was really the... Uh, you know, the, the rationale behind uh, Kiwi Build um, 1.0, if you like. Um, so Phil Twyford definitely there, although I think it was also a group failure, a collective failure of Labour on Labour's part. Um, and, you know, the Kiwi Build was reset, uh, the Kiwi Build program was reset. They didn't have to give up on these core aims. They could have continued uh, building the houses, um, just not with Phil Twyford in charge, but they chose not to. Um, um, so Phil Twyford, uh, he gets the blame for it, and I think rightly so, could have succeeded. But I think, you know, I think Labor also collectively has decided they just, uh, it's all too hard and, um, you know, they're just not going to do it. Um, and uh, in addition to, to Phil Twyford, uh, I would uh, pick Calvin Davis. So yeah. um, Calvin Davis, he's a deputy leader of the Labor Party, but you'd hardly know that. He's actually invisible. Um, and it might be okay if you could say he's really working hard behind the scenes in the engine room, but there's no real evidence of that. Uh, seems that Grant Robertson really is the de facto deputy leader, leader for Labour, the deputy prime minister, de facto uh, deputy prime minister. Um, and Calvin Davis's main portfolio is corrections. Uh, initially, he did manage to get prisoner numbers down uh, when he came into government in 2017, but now they're back over 10,000. Uh, and there's no real transformational uh, policies. Initially, he got the numbers down a bit by, um, you know, getting uh, more prisoners on bail and so on, which was kind of a low-hanging fruit. But, you know, we just haven't seen any transformational policies in the justice arena uh, or the corrections uh, and 
portfolio, Andrew Little's on uh, justice, but Calvin Davis is on corrections, and you know, I, I think it's, it's been disappointing. But you know, a lot of the Labour um, ministers have been mediocre or disappointing, so you know, perhaps Phil Twyford and Calvin Davis shouldn't feel so bad about themselves. No, I'd put Claire Curran in the mix too, either entitled or just oblivious. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of choices, unfortunately, in Labour for ministers and MPs have really failed to uh, perform. It's not that they've uh, always, you know, made great hashes of things, although there have been examples of that. It's just they haven't really stepped up. Um, you know, Jacinda Ardern is really the exception, not the, not the rule. And even Grant Robertson, I don't think he's had a stunning year. He's come too late to the realisation that he needs to spend, and it all looks a bit cynical, to spend up on infrastructure. And, you know, that budget hack happened on his watch with mm. uh, Gabrielle Mucklow. So, you know, I, I mean, those were two big uh, things really for him. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Grant Robertson even has had the best of years. All right. Um, we'll have to go through these a bit faster now. Um, what about this party, John? The Nats, in that they've, they've, um, they've maintained generally their stance as the most popular party in New Zealand. That doesn't mean that over 50% of the population supports them, but uh, more people support National than any other party. I think they've been effectively able to push back against Jacinda Mania, although that hasn't led to um, uh, her own support levels uh, dropping too much, although at times. Uh, um, but I think the Nats have looked at how have centre-right parties been successful in other uh, so-called Anglo countries? And it's by moving to the right uh, and, and taking up sort of populist cultural issues. Uh, we've seen that with Trump, uh, we've seen that with Boris Johnson, we've seen that in Australia, and I think uh, national, yeah, so that they're, they're embracing to some degree the sort of toxic populist politics to move forward. Uh, what about you, Jeff? Uh, the Act Party would be mm. my best performance party of the year for the reasons I said earlier about David uh, Seymour. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would I would agree with you actually on that one, Geoffrey. Uh, key phrases or words? What about some of the the best things said in Parliament or, or around Parliament political issues? Um, some of the funnies or uh, some of the more serious ones? What do you got, John? Okay, boomer, definitely. Um, th- this is a term that's uh, been gaining. Um, popularity online with memes uh, but when Chloe Swarbrick the Green Party uh, member used it as a retaliation against uh, one of the older Nats who was having a dig at her for her age uh, when she used that term OK Boomer then it went viral internationally and suddenly she uh, was um, being um, called up by the New York Post, by the Guardian and Britain etc so yeah OK Boomer OK Boomer what do you got for us Jeffrey? Well, my keyword for the year in New Zealand politics is, is they. Um, firstly, because of uh, Jacinda's, uh, Jacinda Ardern's phrase, they are us, uh, which she uh, said in the hours after the mosque attacks and really became a, uh, you know, a, a catchphrase around uh, New Zealand and even internationally after the attacks. And you still, be, you still see this uh, uh, painted around town uh, and so on. Um, and but also I chose the word they because uh, Merriam-Webster, the uh, U.S. dictionary, they announced uh, last week that they chose they as their 2019 word of the year uh, because it's a pronoun used to refer to a person whose gender identity is non-binary, um, and so uh, you know it's it's part of um, yeah I think it's part of the new attention paid to these kind of cultural issues. Um, you know, in a negative sense, you can say cultural wars, but, um, you know, I think they is uh, my word of the year. 
All right, and um, predictions for next year. Of course, it's election year, uh, and the, the you know we'll be all go probably from around February. Mm. What do you reckon, John? Um, I think the economy is going to benefit from the large cash injection from Grant Robertson's new spending plans. So we'll see an increase in GDP and a general increase in economic activity. That presents some dangers for Labor in that it's having uh, to borrow billions, uh, and we're going to see uh, a, a deficit. Um, so the Nats are definitely going to be able to attack Labour on that issue. However, I think the tax, the Nats are still going to um, put most of the emphasis on cultural rather than economic issues because that's what's been so successful for centre-right parties in other countries. But regardless, it's going to be a very tight race. Mm, mm, the scramble in the budget too, perhaps, uh, as there always is. Um, what about you, Geoffrey? Yeah, my prediction for next year is that the election will be close. I think elections usually are now, and MNC is a big part of that. But I think Jacinda Ardern and Labour will ultimately win the second term, um, either in coalition with New Zealand First or the Greens, but I don't think it will be with both. I think either New Zealand First or the Greens will be kicked out of Parliament next year. And I'm actually leaning towards mm. the Greens not making it. Uh, I think the Shaw and Davidson leadership team is weak, I think. You know, I think they're the Greens' weakest leadership team that they've ever had, and I think the Greens really are quite divided uh, between you know the pragmatism and the idealism. And being in government is often the test for these small parties, and I I don't think the Greens have passed the test. Okay, Boomer. Um, <laughs> right, uh, where are we next? Uh, well, international politics, of course, it doesn't just happen here, it happens around the world. Uh, some of the highlights from the world, John, what's your highlight? Uh, the new protest zeitgeist, so uh, politics is very much back on the streets throughout the world, and this provides lots of dangers and opportunities, of course, depending on your political perspective and uh, how you want the world to change or not change, but we've seen mass protests in Chile, uh, in, in North Africa, in the Middle East, student strikes against climate change throughout the world, protest against the, uh, effectively against the Communist Party in Hong Kong and in Bolivia where mass protests led to the um, overthrow of a left-wing government there. So, um, yes, that, that points to how mass protests um, can have various uh, political orientations, can be reactionary or progressive, can be far-right, far-left or centrist, etc. But the, the, the main thing is that, yeah... Um, uh, politics, the politics of the street is the new zeitgeist. All right, what about you, Jeffrey? Yeah, mine's kind of similar, but perhaps just more a little bit more focused. Uh, it's, it's Arab Spring too, as as my highlight. Uh, we've seen a huge amount of transformation in the Middle East this year. We saw the overthrow of uh, Omar al-Bashir, a autocrat uh, dictator in Sudan, wanted by the International Criminal Court. Um, he was overthrown after 30 years. Uh, Abdulaziz Bouteflika, the president of Algeria, was overthrown after 20 years. And we also saw um, Lebanon's Prime Minister Saeed uh, Hariri and the Iraqi Prime Minister Adil Abdelmadi uh, both announced their resignations amidst waves of protests um, through the Middle East on the streets, which have really uh, been going all year uh, in, in one place or another and at varying strengths. Uh, so uh, this is as significant as the original Arab Spring, in my view, back in 2011, but with different countries involved. Uh, this time it was it's Lebanon and Algeria, Iraq. Um, back in uh, you know 2011, it was Egypt and uh, Tunisia, for example. So it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of lot of change going on in the Middle East at the moment. All right, uh, some lowlights, Jeffrey. What do you got? 
Uh, Lowlights, definitely Justin Trudeau's blackface hypocrisy, I think. Hypocrisy is the biggest sin in politics, and, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau just exemplified this. Uh, you know, he couldn't remember how many times he had dressed up as a as a black person and pulled funny faces and all kinds of things, and a whole lot of embarrassing photos and videos came out of him um, uh, dressed in blackface. Uh, now, you know, depending on your on on what he was like as a politician, it wouldn't have to be particularly damaging. Uh, you know, it could be embarrassing. You know, if you were a, a right-leaning politician, so on. But it wouldn't be an, uh, a knockout blow. But because Justin Trudeau really has, uh, you know, been uh, kind of the, the leader of wokeness, if you like, over the last few years. You know, and has really emphasised, you know, inclusiveness, compassion, all these kinds of things. You know, it, it just is really, really jarring. It would be, you know, in the same way if it came out that Jacinda Ardern had been wearing blackface. Um, you know, it would just be a complete, um, yeah, it would completely jar with the image that she she has. And Justin Trudeau's very much been in, in that vein. So it really uh, looks like Justin Trudeau is a, is a big phony. Um, nevertheless, managed to get a second uh, term as as prime minister, uh, but with a much uh, weakened uh, majority. In fact, didn't have a majority. Now he's in the minority government, and the Conservatives uh, won the popular vote. In fact, mm, mm. Uh, and let's not forget he's terrible with First Nations people, uh, as are all Canadian prime ministers of the past. Um, John, yeah, my low light in international politics has to do with the UK uh, election and and the the failure of the Corbyn led Labour Party and the British left in general to push back against claims of anti-Semitism um, um, th- this was I think those claims of anti-Semitism really hurt Labour um, and um, in polls um, a, a number of voters indicated that they had not voted for Labour on the basis that they believed um, believed uh, these claims that Labour was um, riddled with anti-Semitism I don't think Corbyn is anti-Semitic, and I don't think a lot of the British left are particularly anti-Semitic. However, um, both Corbyn and the British left haven't been able to clearly differentiate their anti-Zionism, that's their opposition to the idea that Israel-Palestine should be um, predominantly uh, a a state for Jews, uh, and and Palestinians are second-class citizens. So that uh, anti-Zionism, which many people would see legitimate, but it can easily, clearly be mixed with anti-Semitism, bigotry against Jews and belief, the absurd belief in a Jewish conspiracy theory and I just don't think that Corbyn uh, and his supporters have clearly differentiated their anti-Zionism from a general anti-Semitism and it hasn't helped that in their activism around the question of Israel, uh, they generally project the Palestinians as the good guys the Israeli state as the bad guys and and they associate the Israeli state with Jews in general. So it becomes Jews versus Palestinians. And I think that, yeah, it really hurt Labour. Uh, Israel did declare themselves a Jewish state this year, though. Yeah, so it's uh, as, as I said, it's legitimate to um, uh, critique Zionism, mm. uh, that, which I would see as a racist ideology, that this area of land is for Jews and, not, and that other people living in this area area, Palestinians mainly, are effectively second-class citizens, or not citizens at all, in the case of the West Bank, which is still controlled by Israel. Um, But the thing is that, yes, we need to... um, It would be like in New Zealand, uh, um, uh, opposing um, the 
colonial oppression of Māori and then saying all white people are bad. Mm. Um, uh, but it's far more toxic, of course, when it comes to Jewish people because of that whole legacy of, of hundreds and hundreds of years of um, extreme oppression against Jews in Europe and, of course, uh, the tragedy of the Holocaust. Indeed. All right. Um, phrase, phrase. What do you got for me, John? Woke. Woke. So... <laughs> God, it sounds like we're on bloody magic of him. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so woke has essentially replaced the term political correctness. So woke represents a, a, a certain form of progressive left-wing and liberal politics, uh, especially centred around questions of um, sexuality, ethnicity, gender, uh, transgender issues, uh, but also increasingly around questions of class as well. So, um, you know, and you see that with someone like Alexander. Ocasio-Cortez, I think she represents a more left-wing version of woke, which does centre in on questions of class and, and support for trade unions and working class activity as well. So, yeah, woke is the word. Woke is the word, not bluebird. Uh, what do you got for us, Geoffrey? Yeah, my phrase is mass protest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it with that. I, I, think, I think we've talked about that all around the world this year. We've seen yeah. There's waves and waves of protests. I think that, for me, is the yeah the defining feature of the year. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, all right, uh, and 2020 predictions uh, in the international sphere. What do you got for us, Jeffrey? Uh, my predictions are Donald Trump will not be convicted in the impeachment trial well, in the Senate, course. and he will be re-elected <laughs> in November. The Democrats will select Elizabeth Warren as their nominee, but she will lose heavily to Trump. Mm. UK Labour will not learn the elections of their election results. Just as the US left has not really learned the lessons of Trump's election, um, instead of looking uh, looking at themselves uh, for the reasons that they lost, they will blame uh, Facebook, they will blame big money, they'll blame uh, for the first-past-the-post voting system for Boris Johnson's victory. And finally, uh, the protests in the Middle East will only become more violent and desperate as the economic situation uh, does not improve despite the removal of some of these uh, figureheads. Um, we need systemic change, and I don't think it's going to arrive. All right, John. Badly. Yeah, similar, similarly, I, I think we're going to see more mass protests throughout the world, more strikes, more instability. Um, continued success for populist nationalists so it's really helped populist nationalists the fact that Boris Johnson uh, has been um, re-elected uh, his, um, it, it, and now is continuing as Prime Minister of Britain. Um, the radical left will make gains but less so within the mainstream political arena and, and I think there'll be a growth of the radical left amongst youth and um, when you look at polls uh, there's a real divide between youth and older people and their political orientations um, um, and I think, yeah, the, the youth are going to continue to embrace um, radical politics. Mm. Uh, the new radical zeitgeist will roll on. Uh, the new 